One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Your host, Scott Needham. I'm a seller, software developer for all things Amazon. You know what? Some people are doom and gloom about the economy. I am never doom and gloom about Amazon because I just think there's some competitive modes that they have that like they are going to be around for a while. And it is a, a very interesting marketplace. So interesting. Like there's just so many different approaches as I see brands show up and what their approach is to like people that are just trying to flip and make a few dollars and everywhere in between. I've been a seller and my software tool like Mark Scout gets used in a lot of different ways. I knew in the back of my head when I was building this out, I was like, okay, this reveals a lot of things about brands and sellers, like how many sellers are on a brand and all that. And like that it was going to uncover a use case that was actually going to help brands just see what's going on. And I guess I've got uh, Trajan from Ray Falcon and they help brands see what's really going on. And then they help brands kind of regain control or at least bearings of the channel so that their brand gets represented the way that they want. This can be an interesting subject. I think it hit people in very different ways. But first, Trajan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Scott. Okay. I hope I did a good job of setting up what we're going to chat about, but let's actually start with something that maybe most people in the channel understand this term called MAP, minimum advertised price. A brand sees this as a way just to like have even pricing across all channels. Let's say you're an outdoor product and you're a premier one. Maybe you're North Face and you got your like duffel bags or whatever. And like you have a lot of brand equity. People respect North Face. You want to sell for $299 in both REI and on Amazon. If it's different by a few dollars, yeah, that actually creates a problem. Shoppers across the nation aren't dumb. They're going to try and, you know, get it as cheap as they can. And a brand wants good partners. They want REI to be a good partner. They want Amazon to be a good partner. Is MAP the beginning of the story? It's one of the things brands are concerned about a lot of different things. You know, in some cases, it's, it is MAP. You know, they want consistency for the consumer experience across the channel, including price, because price does you know, a higher price does imply this is a high quality product. And so, you know, if there's a lot of price erosion, it might say things about the brand too. They're selling and their partners are selling. So they're protecting, you know, not just the integrity of their selling directly, but also, you know, when they have channel partners and, you know, third-party seller relationships, it really, they just want an even playing field. Uh -huh. the um, what was your background? that got you into, you know, working with brands, working into working in with Amazon, what got you in the space? That's a great question. I've got a really eclectic background. I just have a high intellectual curiosity. I met my partners. I was a CEO of a technology machine learning company, a software company. So I brought a lot of technical expertise and I have a marketing background. I have a licensing brand licensing background. And so, you know, I just, really understood the channel um, component, value of the brand and how to make something happen with technology. My partners are attorneys and, you know, they really understand now how, what kind of rules can govern a marketplace to, you know, protect a seller, protect a consumer and, you know, have this idea for how can we do that differently than just using a legal remedy, which can be expensive, hard to scale and, and can mm -hmm. cause damage. 
Well, um, you know, there's some other approaches. And so we just started knocking ideas around about alternative ways of doing it. Yeah. I found that it was a big game of chess and love it. Well, at its core, almost what creates the problem that we're talking about map and is arbitrage. You know, mm -hmm. people can buy from one place and then they see where they can sell it at a higher price from another place. And that brings in anyone that can do this. And for a lot of situations, a lot of brands that do that actually don't really get that involved in this, I'd say many, many brands don't really think about this. And arbitrage happens all the time. I was actually shopping for uh, baby ibuprofen and there's a shortage right now. And of course, every shelf is gone and the prices on Amazon are shooting through the roof. Just because mm -hmm. there's a shortage and that creates it, that's one situation of an arbitrage someone's make capitalizing on a situation. If you've been in arbitrage for a while, specifically around Amazon, you're aware that there are some brands to avoid because they will enforce uh, their trademark, their copyright, their map. They want the channel like to work the way that they want it. And in some cases that actually really benefits them. They start to sell more on Amazon if yeah. things just look the way that they want. They're thinking long-term focus. They're not thinking about the next transaction. That's setting up the scenario. And like you said, there's, we were talking earlier, there's different companies that, that approach us from a very different way. There's some companies that just do like map compliance. They like monitor map and just tell people when they're out of line. There's a very legal way. I think a lot of sellers have seen uh, legal notices from like Voris who you know, they'll send letters to their business address and tell them what they've done. Then there's also brand protection, like brand registry that Amazon is now facilitating. I feel like I'm, I'm speaking too much. It's a very interesting area as like the biggest marketplace in the world it has so many different actors involved in it. Sometimes they're at odds and right. sometimes they're not. And I think it's very interesting where they're not completely at odds, where they can, they can like work together. Uh, you help brands understand their options. Right. Yeah. Some brands already know what they want to do. You know, so they say this is our strategy as relates to the Amazon marketplace. We want to be 1P, that's it. Or we want to be 1P, but we want an authorized seller program. So strong partners to work with. Some don't want their products on Amazon because they're, you know, particularly in like a, you know, healthcare related space. They're nervous about who might handle that by the time it touches a consumer. So, yeah. you know, it really runs the- and Some are so religious on the D to C. They're like, we want to own our consumer across the board and just don't want Amazon there at all. That's exactly right. Because there are a lot of complexities there too with, yeah, you're right. So it's interesting to see, you know, uh, especially like, you know, we're talking like top tier brands, like say beauty, like you said, uh, uh, health related, even some electronics. Actually, I think Apple finally recently like signed to work with Amazon and yeah. you started to see a lot more uniform pricing. Like now that Amazon directly sells their products, I'm sure it just sells like the Dickens. And then Nike has like, they weren't in, they came in and they've left and like, <laughs> who knows where it's at right now. Yeah. So when you're approaching a brand, you know, what do you say? Do you like steer them a certain way or uh, just give them options? 
Yeah, if they're looking for options, you know, we can discuss it because ultimately it's what the brand's goals are for their consumer experience. You know, they're one brand for them, even though there were map concerns for them, it really was, well, is our current branding content, you know, is it old images, old copy, old video, that was their primary concern. And so, you know, in their case, they wanted complete integrity. They didn't want to allow third party selling to happen, but as we got to work with them, third party sellers that were great, they were great partners. And so they started to recognize that that could be a benefit to their brand. You know, if somebody kept their brand experience whole and were great to work with, then they opened it up and allowed some sellers to sell. In other cases, they said, no, just be cool in the marketplace. We don't want, you know, we don't want to be the kind of company that's uh, mean, <laughs> you know, like um, we get um, that there are all kinds of people selling. Some are really nasty, bad actors, but there are a lot of people who are just, you know, making a living, seeing an opportunity. They were pretty great about allowing sellers to kind of sell through their inventory and move on as long as they were demonstrating they're friendly to the brand. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, like, like you said, there's some like good sellers, people that are above board that like, you know, you send them a message, they'll respond. And then there's those that are like, are just hiding, 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 hiding. I recently saw a report, a 12 page, like analysis of like how, what they did at what length to kind of like identify a seller and to find maybe where they're sourcing a product and people like get very creative or clever with their address, their name, mm -hmm. and you get sellers that are completely like not, you know, not, they don't want to be a partner with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, and they're, you know, Amazon is great for money laundering. You know, that's a huge issue there. So there could be, you know, really illicit activities to clean money and, they're stolen. There's a Wall Street Journal article, I think it was two years ago, about dumpster divers selling on Amazon. You know, and if somebody is, or companies that are being paid to destroy extra product are actually collecting the product and selling out the back door. So there are, if there's a dollar to be made, somebody's finding a creative way of doing it. And I think it's- uh, That's the first time I've ever heard of money laundering on Amazon. And I actually think it's kind of brilliant. You can get caught, of course, but like, you know, it's just a, to show money that turns into like revenue that like is cleaned up a little bit. It's not bad. The Ozark on Amazon, but there, I mean, somebody could buy a product at retail, sell it cheaply on Amazon. And it's the clean, the cheapest way of cleaning money ever. And it is a big focus on Amazon. People we've talked to at the brand registry. It took me a minute to figure out what ML meant. Because um, in my mind, it was machine learning, but I started to piece it together. It is, it's an abbreviation. They're really aggressive about it right now. They've got all kinds of algorithms out to try and catch money laundering right now. But yeah, it's Holy cow. Um, there's stories there. There's going to be a really good story one day that's going to come out where uh, like someone, you know, you know, someone got caught. In fact, if you are working for Amazon, you know those stories, but yeah. <laughs> um, they're, not, they're just not out yet. Oh, that's so crazy. And so now you could really like, when you think of all these scenarios that we've talked about, the need for at least someone like you that like knows the marketplace, knows the levers, I get a sense that you guys like to, you prefer to play nice first and be very like cooperative with sellers as you communicate like, hey, here's what's happening on the channel. Uh, sell out if you can. Here's just a heads up. 
Yeah, that's right. I think sellers with integrity respond well. They can understand it. You know, there are some sellers with integrity who are just kind of harried and harassed and they're going to push back anyway. And then, you know, a huge chunk of sellers that really are anything they can do to make a dollar. When it gets down to, you know, one is the brand serious to demonstrate the brand is serious, then, you know, that is the time to get more aggressive. Where only remaining are the really bad actors who are hiding, who are being, you know, using, you know, really poor practices and um, then, yeah, then we'll get really, really, really aggressive to get them evicted. So I personally have like, I've gotten a whole gamut of emotions in this because I've had our seller account suspended off Mm -hmm. of IP violations. This is before Amazon, they really even like kept track of it. Apparently they were keeping track of it internally before there ever was an account health page. We didn't know how, like, if we had to respond to something or not. It hasn't been an issue since. You know, when I'm in the situations now, if I get a message like this, I'm like, hey, just let us sell out and we'll be out. We're done. You know like what I mean? Like, if that's what you guys want, like, we'll work with that. Find opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. And our approach is, I mean, we can do intellectual property, but... Our focus is on the terms and conditions sellers sign. They agree to sell on Amazon. And our first communication is always look their issues with your listings, clean them up for 100% compliance with Amazon rules, or we will be forced to report those things to Amazon for them to take action. So we've never asked Amazon and never will say, hey, could you take this action against a seller? We will say, hey, could you remove a listing because we see some issues with it? or we received a product that isn't what is promised on the product detail page. So could you please suppress a listing? It is, it gives the sellers an opportunity to sell police, you know, and clean things up. So what, what would be some instances that you would like? So I love uh, what you're saying is you don't go after the seller, you go after like bad listings, listings that just like are not like working for you, the brand. What does cleaning up look like? Are we talking more on the price side? Yeah. So for us, it really is our approach and Amazon. It's the only thing they care about is the consumer experience. They don't want to hear about channel. Um, So for us, it really is what policies are being violated, how it will impact the consumer experience. We can put extra attention on price integrity. Mm -hmm. That's happening and say, Hey, you know, we'd like a brand can say, we'd like you to pay attention to people are abusing price. And mm-hmm. so we will, we'll put extra attention on that, but, but really it is, you know, it's meant to be a, hey, we're making the tough decision to protect our brand. And so we're going to apply it everywhere, small or large to make sure consumers have a good experience. Okay. There's this debate that I think about a lot at different points. Like it meant different things for me, but like, what's the future of a reseller or what's the future of like brands like brand registry like do you see a direction that things are going does amazon maybe one time it feels like they're like giving more control and autonomy to sellers and sometimes it feels like they're giving more control and autonomy to brands i've seen it flip both ways i've heard of brands losing access to brand registry yeah yeah that's right and right now i think it's more like seller friendly right now that amazon brand registry so we noticed they're providing more opportunities for a seller to respond rather than suspending accounts or even necessarily suspending a listing. They will take aggressive action if, if they see somebody's a perpetual user. But yeah, we've noticed 
right now they seem to be in that that let's give sellers a chance swing it took them a decade to do that <laughs> it seems to be that like they understand that some quick actions can have very dire consequences to other people if there's no like discourse or like just chance to respond well there are a lot of gray hat practices you know so uh -huh. a cat where somebody will make claims about you know a counterfeit without actually doing any due diligence and i, I think yeah. amazon saw some abuse on the side and saying hey like we really want to see some evidence or you know a pattern of behavior well you know that's it's fine. we're really careful about like we'll always provide documentation that's why your answer the surprised me in a good way that you're like we don't go after sellers we just go after listings that don't work for the brand i think it's a really good way to communicate that mm -hmm. because that's probably using ip in the right way you can't use ip and say this seller is a bad actor i hate the seller uh, you, you know kick them off you can that's use right. ip to, you can use ip to be like hey this listing is using our trademark we just don't want this listing up right they're, they're slightly different things but like i think they matter a lot yeah, they do matter a lot. And I think it is supposed to be a competitive marketplace. I mean, Amazon wants it. The consumer ultimately benefits when there are sellers operating an open marketplace. So it benefits them. And I think it really should be, how do we make sure the brand is being represented rather than mm -hmm. you know, targeting some sellers and saying, like you said, we don't like them, so go get them. You mentioned before that sometimes a brand will ask you, hey, who are the good sellers? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're working with the brand right now and their footprint is a mess. Like people have run amok and they haven't, brand hasn't paid attention. And so now they need to get control and say, first, clean this up for us, help us get control of what's happening here. But could you also identify even before going into it, based on your experience, who are brand friendly sellers? Because we'd like a relationship with them on the other side. And so, you know, that becomes an opportunity to communicate with those sellers differently and say, look we're about to scorch earth a little bit here on the brand but the brand identified you as a potential partner they'd like to work with so in some ways they actually can turn if they use that if they use like an authorized reseller model and they really nail it they actually can make more money off of amazon i've worked with the brand they charged us more than the regular wholesale but it was such a win-win because they had channel governance they had control and we didn't have any like so competition to work with, but we were paying more than wholesale, but it was still like, it sold like crazy. You know, brands don't always have inventory, you know, on their listings. And if they have strong partners, then they've always got their product in front of a consumer to buy, whether or not they're able to sell it directly at that point too. So, you know, it's one of the factors that this brand particularly mentioned is we want to make sure our products are always there, whether or not we're carrying inventory. It, at that it's moment. almost like, you know, nationwide, they have more weeks of cover if like, there's more places to store inventory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see, you know, sometimes they want sellers to be like the, a backstop to Amazon. If yeah. Amazon runs out, you know, well, we got a seller. And I think some brands, I mean, Amazon's, you know, pushing more and more people out of the, you know, one piece space. And so I think brands, some brands are saying, do I want to sell directly on Amazon or do I want to establish a cohort of seller partners and turn it over to them? And so I think it's part of brands 
evolving mm-hmm. strategy. They know they have to play on Amazon to win, to grow. So that's what does that strategy look like? Where do you see this going? Do you think in 10 years there will be more brands selling directly? Or do you think that the resellers will either be at the same level or maybe there's just a little bit fewer? Think about it this way. How many Uber drivers are out there? You know, there's 100,000. And Mm -hmm. in general, there is a big part of the economy where $15 an hour is great. Yeah. You know, um, that's good. And $25 an hour for some people is like better than they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And so long, this is just like supply and demand, like just like we're talking like macroeconomics, as long as making money on Amazon is over $25 an hour for these arbitragers, these resellers, these wholesale, you know, whether they do retail, anything, any way to make more than $25 an hour, people will be coming in. As long as that's true, then they'll be coming in. I don't care what people say about saturation. It's like, okay, maybe there's 2 million sellers right now. Will the 2 million and first seller, the next seller, will he make more than $25 an hour? As long as that's true, yes, it's only going to get bigger. So yeah, there's like these like governance or uh, brand, you know, like different, you know, things going back and forth, control or whatever. But if a 16 year old can walk into a store, buy, you know, some Nike sneakers at a discount and sell it for $100 online. And, mm-hmm. and his effort was like, you know, 20 minutes. They're only going to keep coming. Yeah, I'm with you, really. So it's, I'm not sure how the proportional change. They're definitely, you know, obviously a lot of aggregators now when they're like dedicated, you know, make us your dedicated um, channel partner, mm-hmm. you know, single seller model. You know, there is a lot of that happening. Same time. We're noticing a ton of new seller accounts, a ton, like never before. And some of them are overseas. Um, foreign exchange rate is adding to yeah. the arbitrage right now, US-based, but there, there's a huge inflow of, um, of sellers. And I agree. I think as long as people can find a way to make money, they will. And, you know, Amazon, you know, their stated objective is to make things majority 3P. So they're always going to, keep that channel open. But even if they tried to pull it back, I don't think they can. As long as there's an efficient way for people to contact a consumer and make that transaction happen, mm-hmm. there are always going to be sellers there. It's really interesting. I I thought that, I think it was pretty safe to say, you know, four or five years ago, brands start taking Amazon more seriously. I was like, this is only going to go this way. You know, resellers are going to get pushed out. And now here I am uh, five years later, And I see, you know, still more interest, more sellers doing really well. It's going to keep coming. And it's interesting to watch at the very least because, you know, half a trillion dollars gets moved through the channel every year. So you kind of get to see a marketplace that's never existed before. Think about like the marketplaces in the old world where like, you know, there's 10 huts and whatever. And like <laughs> an old school marketplace, we're, we're talking about the actual opposite of that. Right. Never there are there more stakeholders, more players, more thing, and more shoppers. Yeah. It's not new news, but I think the pandemic just greatly accelerated people's willingness, desire, and now habit to buy things online, mm-hmm. particularly Amazon and a majority so yeah, that consumer base is growing all the time. 
I brought you guys on because I, I wanted to learn more about Gray Falcon. I've talked to you guys before, you know, actually at Accelerate last summer, but love to hear that you guys are like, one, you know, you're competent, you know how to like uh, help brands, you know how to communicate with sellers, you lean into being kind first, not necessarily kind, but like just like straight up. Respectful, yeah. Yeah, you know, respectful. I mean, everyone kind of deserves at least that first shake. So that's what I've liked hearing and, and learning about you guys. Is there any part of this conversation that you're itching? You're like, oh, we didn't think about this or anything about like Gray Falcon? Well, maybe it's one uh, just to kind of feed off of that. My my oldest daughter works for us and she's a very kind hearted person, you know, and just <laughs> helping us with some of the messages. She's like, it just seems mean and I'm hearing back. And I just said, look, really, when we're doing our job well and we invest a lot in technology so we can operate at like incredible scale. Um, but when we're doing our job, we can take out the bad actors. And so, you know, it helps the people that she's feeling like some bad actors, they've got, they're really good at tugging the heartstrings, but you know, you clear out bad actors, then that, I really think that benefits somebody who's acting with integrity, consumer, you know, they love the consumer, they love the brand, they love the marketplace. I think it just makes the marketplace better for them. So that perspective helped her cleaner channel, happier brands just opens up a lot of opportunity for, you know, for sellers who, you know, are dedicated and interesting. Cool. Uh, where do you see Gray Falcon going? We're always going to stay focused on this. We've been asked before, are you going to like expand into other things, but we do Walmart and some of the other marketplaces too, but the Amazon space is just dynamic. It's always changing. Brand strategy is always evolving. Stay and continue to grow, find other partners in the space. There's some great people playing in the space. We love, love swimming. It. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming uh, to chat. I've hit so many different parts of this conversation, but I've never, I'll actually say like, I've invited voice to come on the podcast, you know, mm -hmm. they're the very legal route. And I said like, Hey, if you have something to say, like, I know people want to know how mm -hmm. you guys think. And ultimately it'll actually help you if people know how you think. Yeah. And so thank you for representing this part of the conversation. It's very like, it's relevant. The brands that are doing, you know, uh, they, they might be doing, you know, north of a hundred million a year and in, in across like their voice matters. I mean, they built something that people want. So yeah. it, it's cool to hear uh, the different perspectives kind of think I've, I've heard it all this almost like ends the chapter <laughs> um, there's like sellers lawyers who like represent sellers and like you know they try and fight their side and like i think it's only fair to think about it holistically so super glad that you guys do what you do i can't wait to see how this evolves and i hope you guys continue to do well so i'm excited like pattern and spree tell on the podcast really big sellers there's a lot of mid-tier ones and I'm actually speaking to them, like, if you want to be able to like advertise to brands that you want to sell that like, Hey, we also like do channel governance. Like, would you guys be like a great partner for uh, mid-tier sellers? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great partnership. We have some that are on the mid mid-tier and even some of the smaller tier because we're a great fit. We are marketplace enforcement focused rather than having to go this, you know, legal system focused. You know, just being part of that ecosystem, reinforcing a well, self-mission is... You know, maybe after the podcast goes live, you're going to have like 50 messages of sellers. They're like, <laughs> hey, we're a good guy. Come join with us. So hopefully we create interesting conversations for all parties. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Thanks so much, Scott. Yeah. Thank you for joining. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And with that, we'll end and hope
hope you guys have One, a great week. Two, See you next three. time.